The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. As with our prior podcasts, we are dealing with a very sensitive subject, and that is relationships that are marred by verbal abuse. And specifically in this podcast, we are really wrestling with those victimized by verbal abuse, those who have been the victims of verbal abuse. And let me extend it. It may not only be verbal abuse. There are different forms of abuse that might occur in the workplace, in the home, in the church, among friends. But uh, typically, a lot of behaviors are exhibited by uh, what we say. And I want to say, excuse me, if you are currently in a circumstance where you are repeatedly subjected to this kind of experience, and if you perceive yourself at risk, I urge you to uh, seek the needed professional and or medical support and certainly take the necessary steps to uh, separate yourself from exposure to this experience. Uh, These podcasts are not intended to diagnose medical, medical conditions or behavioral pathologies or to address life-threatening circumstances. And if you find yourself in any of these uh, or a circumstance that you perceive to be uh, dangerous to your welfare, I urge you to take the necessary steps to protect your health and well-being. Uh, These certainly are vital objectives and should be taken to maintain uh, all that is uh, in your best interest, by all means. And so we are, as we are dealing with this subject of of what the victims experience, uh, we'll find throughout the scriptures that God and man can be a victim of abuse. When Adam disobeyed God and caused sin and death to enter the cosmos, uh, the problem was even more pervasive than we could have ever imagined. Uh, The very nature and essence of abuse and its corrosive presence uh, goes much further than we could have anticipated. For example, there are instances in the scriptures where holy men and women live in abusive environments or became victims of abuse, whether incidentally as opportunity presented itself or by a sinister plan. Uh, For example, there was Hannah, uh, Samuel's mother, uh, and she suffered at the hand of uh, Peninnah, uh, her husband's uh, second wife. And this is found in 1 Samuel. And then we have Joseph, who suffered at the hands of his brothers, Uh, which we will address later in this podcast. 
And there was David suffering at the hand of Saul, Jonathan at the hand of Saul, his father, and of course, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ at the hand of the Pharisees, the Roman centurions, and Judas, just to highlight a few examples. So abuse is pervasive. And I want to throw in a very important caution. Uh, as I said, this is, this is a very sensitive subject, and uh, depending, it can be a bit charged, if you will. Uh, Galatians 5, 17 through 21, clearly enumerates the works of the flesh, that is, our fallen human nature. And of the 16 characteristics or behaviors enumerated, eight are clear displays of abusive behavior or may directly influence abusive behavior, as is the case of drunkenness. So we are, by virtue of the fall, prone to be abusive. Now, we may pride ourselves on not displaying some of the more egregious kinds of conducts, but the commentary of the Spirit of God is that potentially in every one of us, that possibility exists. However, it is by the grace of God that our regenerated spirits and souls uh, uh, are kept from displaying these behaviors and by virtue of the working of the Spirit of God, fruit, that is spiritual fruit, comes forth. So if you and I are living and walking in the Spirit of God, in His power, Give glory to God that we are not exhibiting these abusive behaviors. Now, uh, victims of abuse certainly uh, experience this on a person-to-person -person basis. For example, here are a few examples of behaviors that drive verbal abuse or abusive conduct. In Galatians uh, 5 verse 20, Paul enumerates hatred, strife, jealousy, anger, contentions, disputes. And then he goes on in verse 21, envyings, obviously murders, drunkenness. And so many victims of abuse, whether it be in Christian homes or otherwise, have observed and have been the focal point of abusive conduct. And they can attest to its destructive effects on one's personality. The victims often are made to feel or have their desire to live, to thrive, taken away. Uh, and, and that desire for self-actualization is practically extinguished. And that spark of life that God has given to us, that's, that's implanted, oftentimes feels as though it's being snuffed out. The will to live is being snuffed out. And so whether generally or in very specific ways, victims of abuse often experience great sorrow and sadness, which often has had its onset uh, at predictable times. 
you know, and, and I should say, you can't, you can't predict when these feelings of sorrow and sadness might overtake you. But it happens for many of the victims of abuse. You may be at, at a picnic or a gathering or a celebration, but then upon reflection of, of what you are living with or working with or enduring, sorrow and sadness tends to be the, the uh, residual effects of this oppressive experience. The experience of being a victim of abuse and even as a Christian, is inhumane. And often the only way to experience healing is to make a complete break, as we will see in the life of Joseph, uh, from those that are considered abusive. In Joseph's case, God stepped in and separated him from those of his brothers who were his abusers. Uh, similarly, in uh, Hannah's case, uh, God stepped in and heard her prayer for a child, and God gave her Samuel, and she also bore uh, children uh, after Samuel. But the point being that in answer to her prayer to Jehovah, the abuse went away. Sometimes the abuse is on a person to God level as well. And this often escapes most Christians. The complexities of abuse extend beyond the human interaction, but it also uh, spills over into our walk with God. Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 20, he exhorted the Christians in Corinth not to defile the Holy Spirit's dwelling place, that is, our body. Why? Because it is holy. And such desecrating conduct is offensive to God. It's considered sacrilegious using what belongs to God in an unsacred way, if I could put it that way. To behave in a manner that is a clear disregard of his holiness presents a lack of awareness of the sensitivity that God has towards sinful behavior. It is an affront, my friends, to a holy God when we are reckless with what belongs to him. And this, this recklessness with respect to the indwelling spirit, with respect to the temple, our bodies, and how it ought to be kept in holiness, we ought to sanctify ourselves, not only by the word of God, but by how we live. And this reckless mindset that I could do what I want and, and negatively impact the spirit of God or grieve him is precisely the mindset that an abuser has towards his victim, which is they display complete disregard for what is sacred to the victim. And they, the abusers, act or behave in a reckless manner to the very things that the victim considers sacred. 
It could be mementos in the home. It could be uh, children. It could be a, a prized possession. It could be one's reputation. It could be one's, one's achievements. But the abusers are reckless with those things that are important to the victims. And Paul asked the believers in that same letter, he says, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? And so that question demands a, a, a sensitivity to the fact that as a Christian, I might be abusive in my behavior towards the indwelling spirit of God when I desecrate his temple. Whether by uh, being unequally yoked or by sexual sins. And so Paul's exhortation appeals to all believers to preserve ourselves in a manner that displays to the Spirit of God that we honor what he honors and we cherish what he cherishes. But if we defile his temple by virtue of sexual sins, for example, it becomes a clear indicator that we have disregarded his holy presence. And I want to emphasize this. this. This general disregard, this attitude of disregarding what is holy is the same frame of mind that abusers have towards the victims of abuse. They disregard the nobility of the person. They robbed their victims of dignity. They defile the honor that ought to be given to another person as a fellow heir of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the same way we respond to the Spirit of God is often the same way an abuser responds to the victims of abuse. And so, my friends, the problem of abusive conduct and especially among Christians, and that's the, my focal point, among Christians, is frequently a spiritual problem as well as a behavioral or psychological abnormality. Let's, let's talk about our walk in the Spirit. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in the fifth chapter of his letter, of his first letter, verse 19, he exhorts us not to quench the Spirit. And so when Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, he also exhorted them, don't quench the Spirit of God. Simply put, this means not to extinguish his working, his purifying or sanctifying efforts in our lives. We are not to stifle his will. And my friends, this is frequently the experience of someone who has suffered at the hands of an abuser. It's as though the abuser makes a concerted effort to extinguish the natural fire, our will to live. And what happens after a while of being exposed to this over an extended period of time one may find that depression sets in. The victim laments their circumstances. In fact, if you were to read the Psalms, uh, some of David's uh, Psalms, uh, uh, as, as he wrote you know, about his, his thoughts being pursued by Saul and being pursued by his enemies, 
very often you could see by the, the, the nature of those songs of, of, of his poetry that David was cast down in spirit. He, he despaired of life. And sometimes we are unaware that in our walk with God, we need to have a heightened sensitivity to the will and work of the Spirit of God, lest we become like those who are abusive. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, in, uh, in the uh, fourth chapter and 30th verse, he exhorts those believers not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And in this second exhortation, Paul reminded them that they were sealed by this self-same Spirit that he exhorts them not to grieve. And, and when you think of grieving, it simply means to, to distress someone, to make them sad, to cause grief, to be in heaviness, to make them sorrowful. And clearly, clearly, as believers, if we are exhorted to avoid demonstrating these behaviors towards the Spirit of God, it is clear that if a Christian isn't walking in the Spirit, if they are not led of the Spirit, if there is not a conscious dependence on the grace of God to live the Christian life, there's a likelihood that we, unknowingly, will be abusive towards another. Now remember, in Galatians 5, it's clear that we all have these tendencies. Now Paul, in Galatians 5, is talking about the exhibition of these behaviors. But that potential resides in every one of us. We have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who... Really, in the book of Hebrews, it's, it's amazing, but he is the mediator between God and man. And, and in truth, he's the mediator for those who have been victimized. Uh, the book of Hebrews portrays the Lord Jesus Christ in, in one of his key roles, the mediator of God and man. And what's unique about this role is that he intimately understands the plight of fallen man as well as, if I could put it this way, the plight of a holy God dealing with fallen men. He is mediating, for example, for God, who being the fullness of holiness, the fullness of righteousness, the fullness of justice, omnipresence, omniscience, he has suffered the damages of mankind who are currently in rebellion against God and his holy will, and mankind continues to behave in a manner that grieves the Spirit of God. And it's to the point where, uh, as in the uh, time of, of, of Noah's existence, the scriptures tell us that it, it grieved God, it he repented that he made man. And it grieved him to the point that he was compelled to destroy the entire human race except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And so God is faced with the dilemma of having created a universe, a world, 
that was for the good and blessing of man and by virtue of man's rebellion has introduced into the cosmos chaos, sin, death, all of which are damages that God in his creation has to now endure. And God, as a perfect being, finds, as I said, himself regretting his original plan. And so he can be put in the category of those <laughs> who have been abused. <laughs> he causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust, the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And yet he is compelled to endure overt, sinful, rebellious behavior in a universe he created for good. And by virtue of the entrance of sin and death, chaos and storms and disease and, and all manner of evils, God is now compelled to wrestle with. And when you think of someone who's abused, the victims of abuse, guess what? Those victims are compelled to wrestle with circumstances and behaviors that ordinarily ought not to be just as God is doing. And so the Lord Jesus, being both God and man, through his sufferings, stood in the gap. He became the rebel sinner to be judged because all of our sins were laid on him. And we are told in Romans 6 that we have been crucified with him, as well as in Galatians chapter 2. The Lord Jesus also becomes the ultimate victim Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He was the ultimate victim. But he also stood in the gap as an aggrieved God, because now he's compelled to sustain a universe and sustain an earth upon which man as his enemy lives. And for the most part, everywhere, man lives as a rebel, at war with God, while utilizing God's resources. So we see the Lord Jesus as a man suffering, his suffering lasting a few hours on the cross, but in those few hours, he became the divinely appointed substitute for the rebel sinner's crimes against God. And he put to rest the judgment against those very crimes. Now, we're not dealing with that subject today, but in a, a future podcast. Additionally, the Lord Jesus becomes the ultimate victim because he understands and experiences being forsaken both of men, that is, his disciples, uh, the, the men of his culture, his town, etc., the leadership, the Jewish leadership, the Roman government, he becomes the ultimate victim who understands and experiences what it means to be forsaken both of God and of men. Because he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by virtue of this experience, our Lord Jesus, unlike no other man, is able to minister 
by his spirit and his word to all those who have suffered as victims of abuse. And lastly, the Lord Jesus quiets God's wrath that sought to judge the crimes of rebel sinners. If left alone without a savior, we would have been doomed. But the scripture tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord Jesus brings both the rebellious, sinful nature of men and divine holiness together at the place that is called Calvary. In his sacrificial offering of himself, he gives opportunity for everyone, everywhere, to be made a saint. Opportunity for the rebel to be made a saint. And he gives, as it were, opportunity for the God who desires to punish wrongdoing and, and, and sin and rebellion to now become a father to those repentant souls. Rebels turned into saints, an angry God, providing grace and love as a father. This is an amazing, amazing truth concerning the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this could only be done as his life was laid down as a holy, blemishless sacrifice. As I, re I repeat again, he was a sacrifice for our crimes against God. We are told in the scriptures that he tasted death for every man. He allowed himself, as it were, to become the ultimate victim at the hands of a holy God that the wrongs that you and I have done in this universe could be judged and put to rest. And this was the ultimate design of God and the, the, the purposes of God. And that is to effect a deliverance, a salvation. The scriptures use that term, salvation. It's a deliverance from sin, from death, from unregenerate fallen nature, which tended only to rebellion and abuse of any circumstance, any person, whether it be God or human being or even animals. <laughs> The Lord Jesus is perfectly suited, as I mentioned before, to minister to those who have been the victims of abuse. Why, do you ask? Well, for this reason. The fact that he suffered as no man suffered, both at the hands of men, that is his enemies, Roman soldiers, Jewish leadership, rejection of the society that he ministered to, performed miracles, as well as by God, his Father when he became the holy sin offering provided to a rebellious world. He is perfectly suited to be the author, the leader of our salvation. And so, my friend, because of what the Lord Jesus endured, these sufferings made him fully capable of ministering to all those, every one of us, however we may have suffered at the hands of abusers. 
he is able now to minister to us, to bring healing. He passed through this dignity-robbing experience of the, the death of a cross. And none of the pain or humiliation was mitigated in any sense because he was moved out of compassion and love for humankind as well as an aggrieved God. But I want to say that, that victims are not alone. Any one of us, anywhere, the sound of my voice, who has suffered as an abused victim, the Holy Spirit clearly indicates in Isaiah 53 that every person who has suffered as a victim of abuse has an advocate in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told, for he shall grow up, this is in the second and third verse, for he shall grow up before him as a tender sapling and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or lordliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. And here it is. He is despised and left alone of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, and like one from whom men hide their faces, he is despised and we esteemed him not. My friends, Isaiah marveled at the extent of the abuse of our Lord Jesus, which he endured. This was a very unique experience allowed of God, his Father. But this experience made him perfectly suited and suitable to minister to any of us who have become a victim of abuse, to any of us who have experienced that pain, to any of us who experienced that rejection, that humiliation, regardless of the circumstances. Isaiah 53 in verse 4 goes on to say, Surely, and this is it right here, Surely, Isaiah says, He has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Our Lord Jesus knows exactly what those who have suffered unjustly have to endure. He took that upon himself as the Son of God in a way that I will never understand. He took that burden upon himself. He carried the emotional burden that often leaves the suffering saint feeling alone in this world and seemingly bearing the weight of this substandard experience. This experience of grief and sorrow that causes us to be burdened in our souls, in our minds, like a slow poison permeating our being, our Lord Jesus took that upon himself. And he was allowed of God to be stricken and afflicted by wicked men. And as the Son of God, he understands in every sense that burden of grief, that burden of sorrow. And having experienced the carrying of this burden, he, the life giver, risen from the dead, is now well-suited to embrace the suffering saint and minister to that suffering saint like no one else could, my friend. I urge you to draw near 
to God. But when we talk about walking with God beside still waters, draw near to God in the midst of your pain. And you will find there a Savior who suffered for you and me, who is ever willing to provide the grace and healing necessary that you might continue to walk and live as a Christian. The Lord Jesus says, I believe in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. What did he say? I will give you rest. I'll rest you. Here is a, another sad conclusion about the entrance of sin into our world as it relates to abuse. Uh, the volitional act of one person to lord it over another for, the, for the, uh, just the mere intent of, 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 of belittling, of robbing a person, a human being of their dignity, defiling their humanity, all because they just desire to take it away. To, to extinguish that fire, that light, for no reason, <laughs> except because they can. Some abusers even seek retributions for wrongs done to them in past times, not by their victim, but by the abuse of some other person, some stranger in their life, and they take this anger on, out on an innocent person, albeit a friend or relative or spouse. And so we find that this tendency to abuse is one of the, the characteristics of sin entering into the cosmos, whether by Satan's desire, as Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy, or by human beings destroying one another at will just for pleasure. And so this sad fact is an evident characteristic of our fallen human nature. And only, only the regenerative power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God is able to transform a person from a victim into a conqueror or to transform an abuser into a saint. In fact, Titus chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, I just thought about it, and in fact, I, I'm grabbing my Bible because uh, that thought just occurred to me to, to read it to you. But it says concerning the Spirit of God that, uh, but when the kindness and love to man of our Savior God appeared, not on the principle of works which have been done in righteousness, which we had done, but according to his own mercy, he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Richly, the scripture says, he poured it out on us, the Spirit of God regenerating a human being, transforming them. And so we find that it is only by the power of the Spirit of God that we can be changed from a victim to a conqueror, from an abuser to a saint. When we think of Joseph, Joseph is the classic victim turned conqueror. And so let's, let's look at a little bit of the why this is so, the why of, of uh, this experience. 
Well, firstly, the work of God. In the culture of that day, when someone had a dream, okay, dreams were important indicators of the workings of God. And it was clear to his brothers at that time and in some future time that if these dreams are true, their brother would be elevated to a place of prominence. And for this reason, they envied him. They envied him because it meant that they would be subject to him. And so they became his abusers. Why? They saw the work of God in his life. And very often, abusers tend to try to take advantage of their victims because they see value in the victim. They perceive this. And basically, they are motivated by envy. They envy the work of God in your life. They see that you desire to serve uh, or might be serving or singing or, 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 or you know, winning souls or, or some aspect of ministry that they see you have devoted yourself to. And they are envious of the fact that they are not used of God in this manner. And they seek, rather than stepping up their game, so to speak, and, and become involved, they belittle they minimize, they marginalize the work of God in your life. Secondly, the, uh, sometimes Christians become victims because their abusers see that they are loved by other people. Joseph was loved by his father and that coat of many colors became the focal point of that love. And it also became a clear indicator that their father favored Joseph. Now, some of you may conclude that, okay, that was inappropriate, and be that as it may. But to denigrate, to rob a person of their dignity is also inappropriate. However misplaced the love of a parent may be. And for that reason, they hated him and victimized him and even plotted his destruction. Why? They saw that he had favor with men. The third reason. So we see the work of God in your life, that the Spirit of God is working in you, and abusers tend to hate the fact that God is using you, or they see that you are loved by people. Here's the, 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 the one of the similar, this is, is related to the first point, but... Uh, those who have suffered as victims of abuse <laughs> often overlooked that God is with you. Sometimes we are so immersed in the negative experience that we cannot see the hand of God in our suffering. And this requires grace, this requires wisdom. This requires the mercy of God to open our eyes to see what God is doing in using this very challenging uh, uh, experience. When we looked at Joseph's life, the watchword was, the Lord was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph when he was going down into Egypt as a slave. God was with Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house. God was with Joseph when he was in the prison. Now, 
because he was a man of God, because he feared God, because he had faith in the working of God, it did not extricate him from the difficulties of the moment. But God was with him. And I urge you, my dear friend, my fellow saint, do not relinquish the truth that we see in the word of God that when the saints of God suffer, it does not mean that God is not with them. In fact, it's quite the opposite. God is with you. And in due time, he will show you his purposes. It was the hand of God that came between Joseph and his brethren to save him from their hands, from taking his life. So God removed him as a victim and took him down to Egypt. What for? He would become the savior of that Middle Eastern world. The hand of God was with Joseph. And as with Joseph, there may be times that one finds it necessary to separate indefinitely from the environment of that abuser. We know that Joseph suffered in Egypt by being falsely accused. He was forgotten in prison for two years, and we might conclude that this is further experience of suffering uh, as God forgetting Joseph's plight. And so it becomes very easy for anyone suffering at the hands of an abuser to struggle with the fact that their lives have devolved to living in a den of lions, so to speak, causing them to just draw the conclusion, God is not with me. But nothing can be further from the truth. Oh, my friend, Joseph's circumstances were not a surprise to God. He had a larger purpose and would yet use this young man's life to be a blessing to multitudes. So too with those who have passed through the crucible of suffering at the hands of an abusive, a verbally abusive person. God's purpose for your life is not over. It's not finished. God has a purpose for your life to minister to those who may have experienced the self-same suffering. And God desires that he should bring healing to your heart, your life, your mind. And restore, as the scripture says, what the locusts have eaten. Oh, my dear friend, if you've experienced this trauma of suffering, of abuse, I urge you to take the necessary steps to break away from it in every way possible and turn to the Lord for healing and restoration, for strength, for grace, and for all that is needed for growth and fruit-bearing. Seek the face of God for a new opportunity to thrive again. Come what may, we are called to walk with God in all of life's circumstances and allow him to minister to us by the regenerative power and presence of his Holy Spirit. Oh, our Father, remember those who suffer this very day or this very night, that you'd make away an opportunity for escape and to find freedom and relief. You would provide grace and wisdom and understanding that you would bring healing to the suffering soul. Oh God, we commit your children, your people, wherever they may be, whether at the lash of a tongue or circumstances, we beseech you in Jesus' name, deliver such a one and bring healing that they may continue to walk with you 
Besides Still Waters. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.